Hello and welcome to Spring Body of Virtual University. My name is Albert Okran, matriculating you into Ghana's foremost developmental program, bringing together the greatest minds since 2008. Spring Body is brought to you by the Spring Body Roshi Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the enterprise group UMB Bank, with support from our media partners, the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Business. Today we are on our journey in our top 10 trying to explore the life principles of our guests as well as their prescriptions for the ideal Ghana. So who's our guest for today? Dr. Naomi Japan is the school director of Alpha Beta Schools. And if you've been following the news, they are celebrating 35 years of quality education. Let's find out how the journey has been. She also is a board member of Emerge Leadership and the founder of Skills Up. Africa. Let's find out what she's doing as well as her work with the Africa Leadership Initiative West Africa. Naomi, good to see you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for and congratulations to, to yourself and by extension the whole family. Thank you very much. In the context of um, a country trying to build generational entities, 35 years is not bad. It's a great achievement. How do you feel about it? Uh, we're, we're thrilled, you know, a lot of businesses don't make it to this milestone. Um, so to be able to not just uh, exist, but to thrive and evolve over the 35 years, um, we are very grateful to God for how far he's brought us. Uh, we're excited about the future. I've had um, the opportunity to interact with the founders and it's always been a very passionate, very focused outlook on what, what they do. Let's take a step back to the journey of the institution and, 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 and how you got to be here. Just for the benefit of those who may ask, be asking, what's Alpha Beta? Sure. Um, so Alpha Beta is based in Dansuman. It was founded yeah. by my parents, Reverend and Mrs. Ejipong. And they started this school after moving back from the UK uh, in 1988. So uh, as, you, as you mentioned, we're celebrating 35 years. It's been uh, quite a journey. Uh, started with just six children and now we have over 600, but we've had thousands of students go through our doors over the, the, the last 35 years. And we've evolved, you know, from the six students, you know, curriculum-wise, we've continued to evolve. And uh, in, during the pandemic, we actually transitioned to become a full international school. Uh, so right now, we only offer the British curriculum all the way from preschool to sixth form. Uh, but along the way, we've also evolved, you know, our mission, uh, our, our vision as a school uh, is to raise leaders of tomorrow who will be part of the solution to Africa's developmental challenges. And at some point, we took a step back and said, well, okay, it's not enough for it to just be a vision on paper. You know, the world has changed so much since 1988. How do we make sure that the young people that we are uh, graduating from our school have the skills, the values, and the, even the attitude that they need to thrive in the 21st century? So in 2014, this is after I joined the company, um, I... Uh, worked with a team to come up with a concept for a leadership program, which is like a full-time leadership program, which our young people from Form 1 to 6 Form are on. And it just provides a variety of learning opportunities for them uh, to be able to gain skills, to be able to expose themselves to different things. I think that's one of the challenges that we have in this part of the world, that sometimes our education is a bit too theoretical. Uh, we, feel, we felt that it was important for students to get out there into the world of work you know, experience what's going on out there so that they can even make informed decisions about what they want to do in the future. But the biggest thing for us is actually trying to get our students to think about how they can serve their communities, uh, how they can create solutions for some of the challenges that we have uh, in our communities and even in Africa. You know, I think that for Africa to change its story, we need to look at how young people can uh, develop the skills, you know, use, we, we've recently launched, as part of our 35th anniversary, we actually launched a, an, an additional element to our Edin Krahene leadership program, which is a STEM element, because over the last eight years, we've had a lot of success with the program where young people have built up so much skills to the effect, to, 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 when they go to university, they write back to us and say, wow, you know, all the things that we did, all our internships, you know, the community service, some of the, you know, they're doing SWOT analysis or they're doing vision boards and they're going to university and they realize nobody else even has a CV. But these are young people because they've been on the program for seven years. Um, they have a CV because they're doing internships every year. They'll have a very long CV that shows that they've worked, 
you know, in different spaces and all the uh, experience that they've gained from that they're able to use to their advantage. And so we said, well, you know, entrepreneurship is a big component of this. Um, we have something at school called the student market where students get to develop their own business um, from scratch, but they've also got to, you know, do the accounting, present the accounts, pay tax, you know, we try and make it as real as possible. Uh, but one of the things that we realize is that young people don't have the tools and the skills to be able to build solutions from scratch. So the reason why we're adding the STEM components, and we've actually just started, uh, we, we, st we started fundraising a fund of $350,000 to try and get uh, the, the facilities, like ultra-modern facilities for STEM, because we recognize that the children need to be inspired uh, from a young age to get into STEM-related careers. We need so many solutions for our problems. And if the children are not being, you know, I don't know if you know the statistic, but only less than 25% of African youth end up in STEM-related careers. And the reason for this uh, is because a lot of them are not inspired from a young age, you know. I went to medical school, um, but I don't think it was because of anything I did at school. I think that a, a number of people will end up as doctors and engineers because maybe their parents pushed them. That wasn't the case for me, but I think that growing up, I don't remember much, at least in the first nine years of you know, using a science lab or even having computers in school or being able to you know, do some coding and think, wow, I, I would like to do this or doing something practical in science and thinking. But technology has moved so far. If we don't get young people interested, you know, beyond consuming technology, you know, being on WhatsApp and being on TikTok, etc., you know, can they create technology? Can they create apps? Can they create software that can solve our problems? It's interesting you mentioned this because in just the past few weeks, literally everyone on this Ideal Ghana series talks about education. So it's not just the, the, the young people is parents as well. Mm -hmm. Everyone seems to think we should do things differently. And if I may select a few, I, I had a session with Nara Shoko who tried to demonstrate how using, using um, pen tubes as pipettes and using simple experiments, even if the school is financially challenged, could teach lessons in practical ways mm -hmm. rather than use rigid approaches to teaching and learning. Bridget Jobaniku had a similar uh, recommendation. She, she wanted us to move away from passing people through systems that have been um, sometimes even politicized to mm -hmm. systems that actually educate people uh, and not just pass them through exams. Jeremiah Boabing, for instance, felt we should ban exams, written exams, because it doesn't give people a chance to do real life practical situations. So everybody seems to think something must be done differently about education. How big a part is education of our developmental journey? A huge part. I mean, I think that it's not something that, I think it's something that we can't run away from. Uh, I'm actually quite worried about our trajectory, not just for Ghana, but for Africa, if we don't change the way that we educate young people. Because, you know, we have, you know, such a huge youthful population and if we're not able to channel their energies in the right way and even think in a more practical way about what education should mean for us as a continent, I don't think that it's enough for us to be able to say, oh, well, the West is taking children through school from, you know, nursery up to sixth form and to university. That may not be the solution for us. I mean, we have millions of young people coming up who need to eat. You know, perhaps we need to rethink what they actually need to work and to earn a living for themselves. Uh, but apart from anything else, I think one of the bigger issues for me is changing the mindset of young people. Um, you know, we're dealing with a very different generation probably to, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, their interests are different. Um, their level of exposure is different. Uh, we need to try and understand and appreciate what they're ready to channel their energy into so that we can channel their energies correctly. Because if we continue to think that the old ways of educating young people is going to work for us as a continent, uh, I think that we are heading for trouble. Um, especially given that, you know, the bigger challenges that lie ahead of that is that there's unemployment issues, there are not enough jobs, there are not enough you know, opportunities to be able to even absorb these people that we're putting through the education system. We're seeing it more and more now. You know, we have 
uh, it's great that we've been able to provide free education to till children are 18. I think that it's a, it's, it's a great thing, but I think we still need to think one step ahead of that. So once they're done with school, you know, what does it mean for someone to be able to earn a living for themselves, look after themselves, look after their families, and to even impact their communities as well. I'm, I'm itching to hear your learnings, but I'm, I'm learning from, your, from this overview. And there's one thing I just thought I would ask you before I go on to your, your thoughts as they relate to learning, and that's about second-generation leadership. Mm -hmm. So um, in my other life as a pastor i have studied the abraham as the first generation who starts out from nothing leaves his father's house goes to build or leaves the uk comes to ghana to build a, a school called alpha beta mm -hmm. then you become like an isaac in quotes who is the next generation who takes what abraham built and then brings in new technology digs the wells expands what abraham did so much that it becomes the talk of the town makes the news headlines etc etc what are the peculiarities of leading an effort that was started by a generation before you? Help us to appreciate. Sure. Um, there's so many aspects of that. Um, and I'm sure people who work in family businesses can relate very well to this. Um, obviously, first, your family. I'm sure you can even relate to this as well, to some extent. Um, you won't always agree on everything, uh, even though you, know, you work with your family. Uh, but it's important to not lose focus. So where, where are you trying to get to as a company? Um, taking over second generation, uh, you know, it's important that you appreciate your past, where you've come from, uh, and then it's important to cast a new vision. Because don't forget that you're coming into a situation that's already existing. There are, there are clients, they're already there. Uh, there, are, there are staff, they're already, and they all have you know, their past experience, uh, for them to really buy into the vision, uh, it's important for you to cast your own vision. Don't feel that you have to walk in, you know, the same path that the people before you have walked. Um, it's important, you know, for you to not just cast the vision, but get people to understand where you're going from here, because they know what they knew before. But you know, where are you going from here? Where are you taking us from here? They've got to understand and appreciate and respect that for them to come on board with you as well. Uh, and it's not always an easy task, but it's important that you recognize all the, th all the things that can affect your ability to achieve that vision and then try and work on those things individually. I can imagine somebody saying, so help me God, because you're running something that was started before you and the the tensions and the frictions as you try to bring on your new ideas, sometimes the crazy young ideas, vis-a-vis -vis the experience that has built what you came to meet. Where do you find the balance? And Dr. Naomi is saying that it's, it's, it's about keeping your eye on the main picture of the company, remembering the past where you're coming from, and then casting new vision and direction, and then taking the people with you. Now, let's go on to what you may want to call your learnings on this journey. At least I know that you went to medical school. I did. And that uh -huh. meant that you were heading towards becoming a doctor. Then you ended up being an educator. I did become a doctor. So I, I'm actually qualified. I, I did my house job. Okay. I worked for one year after I, 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 I graduated. But um, I think the important decision for me at that point was I worked as a house officer. You know, I've been through medical school. I got tired of people complaining, Ghana is this, Ghana is that, and you know, we're all sitting in England or the US or whatever, and we're saying Ghana is this and Ghana is that. And I think at that point, there was something that really wanted me to come and see what I could do to change that story. Were you practicing? In the UK. Okay. Uh, so I, yeah, after my house job, I decided to move back. And of course, because we had the family business, and I'm the firstborn child as well. So I guess that sense of responsibility was also there just to try and understand, you know, the dynamics of the family business as well. So that's 2011, I moved back to Ghana. Uh, and it's been quite a journey, a very steep learning curve, if I should say so. Do you miss medicine? Not really, actually. I don't. I think um, for me, I really enjoy what I'm doing because I feel like it's impactful. Not that medicine is not impactful, but um, given that some of the challenges we have on the continent are... Uh, are, are, are difficult to solve. I think that it's something we have to, to, to start from the, from the next generation. So I really 
uh, I'm looking at how we can expand that work and get to more young people. The vision is actually beyond Alpha Beta because Alpha Beta can only house so many students, but we're looking at how we can even extend the Dinkrahena Leadership Program to other children uh, in other schools all over the continent if possible. So in the course of this journey, what would be some of the pivotal lessons you would like to share with our viewers and listeners? Wow, um, there have been a lot of lessons. Um, if I should share you know, some of the key ones, uh, I'd say stay focused. I think that sometimes as a leader, there's so many things going on around you. Uh, one of the things I've learned, especially over the last few years, is in the end, everybody will act in their own best interests. So when you're leading, don't try too hard to please everybody because you can't. You can't please everybody. Um, stay focused on what you're doing, on your vision, stay focused on your mission. Uh, uh, and in the end, you know, things will happen as they are supposed to happen. Wow. So you're saying that people would ultimately gravitate towards what they see as their best interest. Are, are we selfish by nature? Or I, is it just a self-preservation thing? I think it's self-preservation because, you know, sometimes you're bending over backwards for somebody and you're thinking that, you know, this is what's going to make the person stay or go or whatever. But... The reality is that as human beings, you know, you don't see, eventually, somebody may endure something for a long time, but in the end, they'll make a decision that is in their, in their own best interest. So leaders must do what they have to do and not overly bend over backwards to please people. Absolutely. Great. What will be your second lesson? Second lesson, um, all things work together for your good. Amen. So you must give thanks in all things. Sometimes it's easy to get discouraged when things are not going your way. Uh, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I believe that everything uh, happens according to God's plan. So even when doors close or things don't go as you're expecting them to go, you still give thanks, you know. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, over the last few years, I've become that person who, if something doesn't happen for me, I don't even get upset because I just think, well, that must be part of God's plan. So if he's closed that door, definitely another one will open along the way. Is it a stage of maturity or is it a stage of contentment? I think a bit of both because um, if you keep getting upset and discouraged about things that are not happening and not even counting the, the blessings that are happening for you, you, it's difficult for you to move forward. I think that... If something happens, great. If it doesn't happen, then it means it's not part of God's plan. I'm, I'm a, definitely a big believer. And to be honest, it's made my life a lot easier. <laughs> because even when people, when things fail or when people walk away or when people do things and it happens, I say, well, it must be God's plan. You know? Tell me a situation where before you got to this level of maturity and endurance and fortitude, tell me a situation where you felt like, have you ever felt like, Charlie, giving up? Like... Is this what this is all about? Because most people, most people celebrate 35 years of great education, your own self having come on board in 2011. That means you are looking at 12 years or so of contribution to this vision. But there surely have been times where you ask yourself, shouldn't I have just stayed in my London somewhere, got done my medicine? Have you ever felt like giving up? Oh, yes. <laughs> tell me about it. Tell me. I know your parents are listening, but tell me. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, it's not even, this was for, you know, during the pandemic, I think that I'm sure you know many people saw self-preservation at its finest <laughs> during when the pandemic first started. Um, it was just the most intense period uh, of 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 my life because everything was hitting you at once, and it was like this big thing has happened. Nobody understood what it was. Nobody understood what the implication was. And everybody wanted to stand their ground. Nobody wanted to take the hit for it. Um, and as a business, it was just very, very intense. And leading through that period was extremely difficult because of course, you know that we got to this place where people had to do virtual learning and all the issues that had to come along with that. And you know, people not necessarily feeling that it was value for money and all the challenges that came with that as well. Um, you know, having to maintain employees, having to maintain your infrastructure for a day that school will come back. People not having the money to even pay because their businesses were equally not running. Uh, and, you know, as a leader, I'm sure I, I gained a few gray hairs from that, even at my young age. 
but it, it was very, very intense. It was intense not just for me, for everybody, but of course when you're leading as well, it's having to make those decisions. You know, do we go virtual? And I told you that we made a major decision over the pandemic period to transition to a fully British curriculum, which was a very, very big move for us as an institution, but we had to weigh up and you know, make that decision and know that it was in line with the vision that we had in the longer term. Let's go to your third lesson. My third lesson. Um, so I guess it relates a bit to, the, to what I've just said is um, keep a cool head, you know, keep a cool head even in stressful situations. Uh, sometimes even sleeping on something makes, it, makes a huge difference because the tension that you feel at the time, uh, once you've slept on it, may not be the same. But it's important because don't forget, in, a, in, a, in an intense situation, there will be people who are all over the place. They don't know what to do. You know, they're relying on you to make a decision. So the last thing, and of course, even from my medical background, this is uh, very important that in a, in, a, in a crisis situation, you have to remain calm because the last thing that you want to do is also start to panic. Uh, once you panic, that's it. The whole team is, is, is gone. So that's my Just keep a cool head. Um, you know, talk to people if you have to weigh up your options and, and try and make a decision uh, in your best interest or in the best interest of the because company. Because in your, in your lexicon, ultimately, everyone will act in their Indeed. best interest. Indeed. Number four. So number four, um, aim for excellence in what you're doing. Mm. Don't get don't focus on what other people are doing i think sometimes the tendency is oh but these people are doing this and these people are doing that and sometimes people can say oh but these people are doing i said don't worry about what they are doing let's focus on what we are doing you know let's focus on providing the the, the most excellent service that we can you know and forget about the rest if you provide you know if you you know a luxury car nobody will have to convince you to buy a mercedes or to buy a bmw you know the work speaks for itself and I think that in any industry that you're in, aim for excellence. Uh, so it's Alpha, Beta, and Mercedes or BMW. I'll let you decide. <laughs> Do you find that sometimes when there are setbacks in service delivery, you look at yourself and say, gee, Charlie, what I'm promising is it being delivered on location? A hundred percent, but I don't think that that's, that's, that's not unique to us. T uh, tell me about how you deal with such situations where there are significant variations to the promise the leader makes and the execution of your stuff? Um, so you, you have to deal, so first of all, you've got to try and create a, a bit of a structure where you're able to evaluate as you go along. Um, but your customer is, is, is a priority. You know, if a client comes in and makes a complaint about something, you just have to apologize and try and improve it. It's not about, you know, trying to cover it up or, uh, because you're working with human beings in as much as you have a vision that you've, you, you have, promoted or proposed to people uh, you're working with human beings and it's not always going to be a hundred percent but you need to if you're pursuing excellence you know if you get it wrong you just have to go back to the drawing board and then figure out you know and sometimes you have scale issues so sometimes you've done something which worked when there was a, a, a smaller number um, but when you have a bigger number then you start having scale issues then you've got to take it back again to the drawing board and say okay fine you know, how can we do this better to be able to achieve the end? I like asking why, when you mentioned skill, yeah. what's one of the biggest challenges of moving from a small school to a big school? Oh, well, the problems are all multiplied. You know, you have more staff, you have more clients, you have more children, you know, you, 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 you need, sometimes your model even has to change. So I mentioned that we started the Dinkrahina Leadership Program in 2014. We started with just one class. Now we have 10 times the number of students. So we've had to remodel a lot of the things um, to be able to get the same. And we're still continuing to remodel. Um, when you have more students, sometimes your cost escalates beyond the number of, you know, <laughs> of students that you have. So then you've got to start rethinking and saying, okay, fine, you know, what are the alternatives that we can use? Or do we fundraise beyond education everywhere in the world? It's a, it's a social business, so it's not always, you know, we don't, you don't get money from government, you don't get, so essentially what you're collecting is what you have to use to build, what you have to use to do everything. And I think that a lot of the time people don't quite appreciate uh, the difficulties involved with that. So you have, a, even Harvard raises money because the fees they collect would not be enough to do all the stuff that they're doing. Um, so you've got to innovate, you've got to make sure that 
you know, if your models are not working, you go back, you, you take them back to Rumble. Get experts in if you have to. I was recently doing a training for a number of leaders of small schools. Okay. And so in asking you the biggest issue with skill, mm -hmm. I was hoping that a few of them are listening and can learn from somebody sure. who's handling a bigger school to <laughs> find out the transitional uh, issues. But you mentioned also the fact that um, your stakeholders may not always be 100% satisfied. How critical is stakeholder engagement in what you do, education? Because I can imagine that you have parents, the students, mm -hmm. um, parents and guardians, the students, there's, mm -hmm. there's the um, umbrella bodies, the NAT and so on, the, <laughs> the, then there's the government. How do you, how do you find the balance? It's not always easy. It's not always easy. Um, it's important to engage your stakeholders as much as you can, collect feedback. So that's something that we've had to try and improve, you know, over the years, try and collect feedback. Uh, sometimes it's a difficult balance between, you know, what all your stakeholders want and what you are trying to achieve as well as an institution. Um, so, you know, you, you hope that there are very few instances of tension, but of course these happen and you just have to try and resolve them as best as you can. Um, you know, you, you are serving a customer. As a private school, you're serving a customer. So uh, a lot of the time, like I've mentioned to you before, if, you know, what you're offering, there are issues, you know, you maintain some kind of an open door policy and try and help as much as you can. But of course, it's not going to be 100%. There will be times where you cannot please a client because what they're asking for is not something that you're in a position to do. Who's your principal client? I think the students, but of course, they are not paying for the service themselves, so their parents are also... A close uh, second. A close second, yeah. <laughs> Springboard at Wichita University, my guest, Dr. Naomi Japan of director, school director at Alpha Beta Schools, helping us to appreciate the 35-year journey of the school, but even more importantly, her own learnings. And I'm, in, I'm excited about this, Adin Krahini, because it speaks to some of the innovations that different leaders have mentioned on this program in their quest to see a better Ghana, which we'll touch base with um, after the break. But your point number one is stay focused. Mm -hmm. Number two, all things work together for your good. Mm -hmm. Number three, keep a cool head, which I'm trying to keep. <laughs> and the fourth is to aim at excellence in what, in, in, in what you are doing. Yes. What will be your fifth? Stay humble and be kind to people. Why? Um, so it's important to stay humble because you know, so many things, you know, this, that saying goes, pride comes before a fall, you know, and though you are leading, uh, it's important that you stay humble and you stay ready to learn, stay ready to listen to people, because at the point that you stop listening to other people, I think that's where you fail. Uh, so you got to stay humble, you know, no matter how high up you think that you are, uh, and be kind to people. Learned, you know, people are going through a lot. Um, you know, the people around you, your team, your clients, people are going through a lot. Um, so be kind, you know, do what you can. You know, there's all, sometimes there's only so much you can do, but, you know, if you are in a position to do something, um, do it and learn to extend grace to people. I like the way you said the grace with a smile on your face, <laughs> extend grace. We'll go for a break. When we come back, we'll explore this Ghana that we say is our, our dearly beloved country. Doc left a medical practice in the UK to come and solve a Ghanaian and by extension African problem in education. So let's find out what is her ideal Ghana and how would it look like. For all you know, you may find at least one prescription we can implement immediately without the help of any multilateral agency. Please don't go away. <laughs> Ah, Joe, won't it? Enterprise Insurance would dear woman promo nana. Hey, what it? <laughs> Four coupons. Vom washing machine. Vom car washer. Vom baby. Vom obiadia. Vom. Buy or renew your existing motor insurance policy and win instant rewards such as fuel coupons and branded gift items in this year's Udia Woman Moto Insurance promo. You could also win an iPhone 14, front load washing machine, high pressure car washer, vacuum cleaner, and an auto tie inflator during the monthly raffles and a slick crutch rocket motorbike at the end of the six month promotion. Make you no know slacku. <laughs> Call your insurance broker.
broker, agent, or visit any enterprise insurance branch and get your reward now. You can also call us on 0302-634-777. This promo is in partnership with NLE on the Characters platform. Terms and conditions apply. Enterprise, your advantage. <laughs> When you can be anything, who will you become? When you can go anywhere and never feel alone, how far will you go? When you have the means to make your dreams real, when will you start? When your voice can reach every ear, who will you inspire? When your money can travel faster and further than you ever could, where will you send it? When you can tell a story in every language, which ones will you tell? When nothing can stop you, and everyone's behind you, and, and the, the whole, whole world, world awaits, awaits you. you. Don't go alone. Go with us. Everywhere, Everywhere you, you go. go. Aquaba, UMB is proud to offer you the best business solutions possible. We have been excelling in serving Ghana since 1972, and our sole interest is to make your business succeed. We are committed to making you to become number one in any sphere of business or enterprise you are pursuing. With our experience in growing some of the biggest SMEs in Ghana, we can support you become the business leader in Okaishi, Suami, Abusokai, or any of the SME enclaves in Ghana with our SME solutions. Our latest SME loans allows you to take a loan backed by the value of your cash flow and inventory so you can increase your trade efficiently. Speak to our business bankers or visit any of our branches now. UMB Bank you first. Welcome back to Springboard of Virtual University, brought to you by the Springboard Roshu Foundation and proudly sponsored by the Enterprise Group, MTN Pulse, UMB Bank, with support from the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Business. My guest for today, Dr. Naomi Japong, has been helping us to appreciate the story of her life and by extension, the Alpha Beta Schools, especially as they celebrate 35 years of providing quality education. She's been sharing about how her own passion for contributing to the continent's problems, if I may say so, drove her to leave a medical practice in the UK to come and support her parents to build the family business of Alpha Beta. And she shared five lessons. One is stay focused. Two, all things work together for your good. Number three is keep a cool head. I'm trying very hard to. Number four, aim for excellence at whatever you do. And number five, stay humble and be kind. Doc, this quest to contribute, and I like the fact that you mentioned the continent, in the area of education, which you see, you see as a very key component of our developmental effort. If I narrow down on Ghana, what would your ideal Ghana look like? What would be your first prescription in your ideal Ghana? Um, so I think I've spoken about this already. I think it's, it's providing relevant education for young people. Uh, and I emphasize relevant because times have changed so much, you know, um, and curriculum content hasn't quite changed at quite the same rate. Uh, we need to look at our problems contextually. You know, what jobs do we even have available in Ghana for people to take? And probably maybe we should even work backwards on that. Um, so that by the time young people leave, uh, they're actually skilled enough to earn a living. Because as it stands now, there are many people who finish school uh, and are not able to find a job or even you know, be able to uh, execute a job uh, in, a, in, a, in an acceptable manner because they just don't have the skill set to do so. So relevant education to you is, being, is making the young people industry ready. If I may use the, that, that Absolutely. Question. So, you know, soft skills. I think that, I mean, for most of us who, who, who work with people, soft skills are, can be a, a real challenge. Uh, but beyond just the, the, you know, the actual soft skills, there's, there's, there's mindset as well. Uh, we tend to find, and one of the projects I'm working on with Skill Up Africa is actually looking at a youth employment accelerator because uh, can a senior high school student who has graduated be taught practically to start somewhere and progress up the, up the career ladder? 
without necessarily going on to tertiary education. And it's really just, uh, you know, re, I guess just trying to change people's minds about, you know, how education works. I think typically, and even you, you'll see that a lot of young people don't want to go to school and do visual arts or home economics because the idea is if you didn't do general science or you didn't do general arts, then the rest of it is for people who don't, they, they, they can't do any better. But actually, we need to, you know, disengage young people's minds from that. You know, what is what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? And you do a course that follows in that route, not because your friends are doing general science. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is a big thing for Africa, not just for people to be small entrepreneurs, but getting people who will be able to create employment for other people as well. Um, and then what I, I spoke about STEM, and I'm very passionate about that because I think there's a lot of uh, careers that can be found there. Uh, now we, the world has opened up so much that there's a lot of remote careers. So if we can even teach young people, you know, technology-based skills, they can sit right here in Ghana and even earn foreign currency. Actually, that that last point brings me to the fact that increasingly, maybe one solution to our unemployment is to create that person who has the ability and skills to look for a job in another country whilst still living here in Ghana. Absolutely, and there are, there are industries. So you you go to some countries. Um, where they have call centers. So, you know, in India, I think even in Rwanda, so they, they will have call centers there. They've invested heavily in that infrastructure so that uh, you're in the UK, you're calling a call center, you're talking to somebody in India. You know, how can we create now, um, you know, the skills of the future, a lot of them like, you know, technology, artificial intelligence, you know, how can we leverage? And to, to be honest, somebody does not need to go all the way out to university to be able to do some of these things. You know, how can we pick young people much lower down and start teaching them, you know, how to code, how to do robotics, how to um, do things that they can actually get jobs in, you know, when they grow up. Rather. So, yeah, so if I understand you right, we have probably even overemphasized tertiary as the ultimate as it A hundred percent. That's, a, that's a, an interesting angle to this conversation. So if I had the opportunity, so now when I meet young people, um, if they're doing a course that can be done part-time, I encourage them to do it part-time and work. Because the idea of going to sit in university full-time for four years, if you can help it, obviously some careers, you know, you can't go to medical school and do it like that, you can't go do architecture. But for the courses that can be done part-time, and I have a number of young people I work with who do weekend school or evening school and they, they work and because so somebody's done a four-year degree but by the time they finish they so they have so many other skills as well and that's something that I uh, I think that in this day and age a lot of young people should consider not everyone needs to go to university and those are the thoughts of Dr. Naomi Japan in my own words you don't have to and that's quite radical what's your point number two so point number two is we, we found ourselves in a situation where um, you know, the government is struggling to pay uh, its, its, its expenses, if I should put it that way. Um, and so many times we, we see that there, there are a lot of government employees who may not necessarily be engaged in productive means. Um, I think that it's something that needs to be remodeled entirely because there's a lot of roles that are being done that can be done you know, by fewer people or can, technology can be used to reduce the number of people required to do it. And I think that there the, the needs to be a rethink of how many people need to be in some of these roles because it will drastically reduce uh, the bills uh, for the government, especially at this point. So my, that would be one of my prescriptions. Have you heard of the TUC? I have. <laughs> you will be very unpopular at the I know, I know. But that's why I said let's rethink. And rethink doesn't necessarily mean people should be out of a job. I think that if we can get people into more productive means, you know, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's IT related, you know, but something that will actually bring money in, uh, I think that that will help us as a nation as well. Oh, be a third one. Third one would be uh, environment. I think that in this part of the world, especially because we're always thinking about our daily bread, sometimes it's something that we put on the back burner, but I think that it's important for us to uh, think about the ways in which we degrade our environment. Um, you know, this conversation is a global conversation, and I think that it's, it's time for us to also start thinking about ways, whether it's through recycling, whether it's, of course, we've had the big conversations around illegal mining and the water body contamination, uh, but it's, it's, it's important for us to take intentional steps to make sure that in, you know, 5, 10, 15, 50 years' time, 
uh, we still have a Ghana to speak of. One interesting prescription on environment was by Bridget Jobeniko, who suggested that we should have competition. She says Ghanaians are very competitive, from, okay. from um, national science and math quiz to everything. We like to compete. So she's saying if, if it was the case, if there were inter-district and regional competitions um, on sanitation, mm -hmm. people will raise the money to keep their regions clean just to win. What do you think? Well, it's, it's worth trying. <laughs> it's definitely worth trying. I think um, one, I've seen that there's a big recycling plant um, around Kolebo, but I think that one of the bigger issues is we need to get our society to a place where people separate their waste because that's where, you know, if we're able to separate the waste, it makes it a lot easier to, to recycle. Um, so, but some intentionality, I think, has to go into, okay, as a country, what are the things? There are some things that are easier to do than others. You know, what are the, what are the lowest hanging fruits and how can we explore those options? Let's go to your fourth prescription. Fourth prescription, um, develop a tourist, tourism industry. I think that Ghana has benefited in more recent years, you know, the, 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 um, the campaigns uh, that have happened over the last two years, um, Beyond the Return and, oh, I can't remember what the first one was called, um, Year of Return and Beyond the Return, have been great campaigns. Um, and I think that they've, definitely pique people's interest in coming to Ghana, uh, particularly in December. But I think that we need to leverage on that a bit more and think about, you know, how we can create Ghana as a tourist, industry, as, as a tourist, a tourist destination throughout the year. You know, how do we look at, we have so much here. A lot of them are, 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 are quite spread quite far across the country. So even just creating ways for people to get from one place to another, making sure that the uh, we sort out hospitality, whether it's washrooms, whether it's, you know, other things that people can do. I've been to countries that have a lot less than us and make a lot more money from tourism, from virtually nothing. Uh, whenever I go, I get sad because I think, oh, but Ghana has so much more than this. Uh, just putting a bit of intentionality around how we promote tourism, not just in Accra, uh, but throughout the country. And it will create so many jobs for us, you know, if people come in, you know, foreign exchange as well. Uh, young people, I'm still going back to my young people because we need to create employment for young people. I think that that's one of the avenues that we can use for that as well. Would you call youth unemployment the biggest problem in Africa? I think it's getting to be a big problem because, because of the number. I think it's a, it's a volume thing. I worry particularly about our security as a, as a country and as a, as a continent because uh, the more young people you have who you're not able to channel their energy in the right way is going to become hugely problematic. Um, crime rates, and now people are getting more sophisticated with the crime. So, because once they've gone to school, you know, a, a little bit more as well. It's a worry, it's a huge worry for me because if we're not able to engage them in a productive way, um, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. So, Doc, we have... Providing relevant education for young people, that's your prescription number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, remodel government employment, especially in the light of high cost of salaries. And I said it to you, so we come after you for that one. And you say it's not really losing jobs, it's about rethinking how we employ people and what we need for every role. The third is about environment, we need to protect our environment. And the fourth is about developing our tourism. I like the idea of all year round and all nation round tourism. What will be your fifth prescription? Well, so I'll bring my fifth prescription now to the community level. Um, I'm sure we all know how difficult it is um, to get the services that we need at community level. Um, sometimes you, you wonder, you pay your property rates and you come and there's so many things that should be done that are not done. I think that perhaps one of the ways that we could get um, our municipal assemblies to deliver what they're supposed to deliver. But maybe we have to think about whether to vote in their leadership as well, because uh, even as citizens, a lot of the time, we're not aware of what, what they are supposed to do for us. You know, we see problems. We don't even know who, who is responsible for that problem. Is it a highway issue? Is it a municipal assembly issue? I think there needs to be more public education, uh, particularly around, you know, what to expect from um, our, our district assemblies, our municipal assemblies, uh, who to go to if we have a complaint. 
And even I, I like the idea of even being able to rally around the community to solve some of the problems without necessarily having to heavily rely on the government to solve everything. You know, there can be community initiatives that are brought up, uh, maybe, you know, coordinated, let me put it, by the, by the assembly, but maybe even done by individuals themselves um, to see how we can improve, whether it's around sanitation, it's around the roads, it's around security and safety, lighting, you know. Uh, I think that with some collaboration and co coordination with members of the community, uh, and I say community like everywhere, so not just even in a crowd, you know, where we're having issues, you know, how do we report issues, you know, who do we go to, how, how is the assembly evaluated against what they are supposed to do. I think that it will make a huge difference um, because it decentralizes, you know, so if I have problems in, in Dansoman, then I know who I go to and I know who is responsible for doing it without necessarily always blaming the government for things that haven't been done. Doctor, you left your work outside the country to come and work here. Many young people are doing the reverse. Mm -hmm. They think they are tired mm -hmm. of, of this country sure. and want to go outside. Not necessarily because they have something to do. Some, yes, but others to just anywhere. It's almost like ABG, anywhere banana. <laughs> oh, what would you say to that? Hmm. It's a tough question. The first one is hmm. Mm, that's <laughs> the first one is hmm. Um, so, so, I think I mentioned to you before, in the end, everybody will make a decision in their own best interest. Uh, and I still stand by that um, because there are definitely uh, opportunities. There are opportunities everywhere, but for some people, they may not feel that the opportunities are here. Um, and if it diffi becomes difficult to convince such a person. When you talk to the young people, what, what do they tell you? You, 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 you are a mentor, you deal with them on a day-by-day -day basis. Yes. And you, in your regular work to deal with young people. I do. What do they see? So I think what's happening over time is people are losing hope, you know? And just when you think you're making strides, then something else happens. And people just think, okay, the better tomorrow, the better tomorrow. When is it coming? Because it just feels sometimes like they're going, you know, slowly deeper and deeper into uh, a very unknown place. Um, for me, I, I try to keep the hope alive and try to, you know, stay passionate towards the course because there are a lot of young people in, in, in Ghana and on the continent who need to be supported for the continent to lift itself out of where it is. Um, so we can't give up just yet. But I don't think that there's, a, there's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, if somebody is working in a career where you genuinely cannot get a job here, uh, it becomes very difficult for you to convince them um, to stay. You know? In your earlier submission, you linked unemployment to... Um, to national security. I liked that brief point you made. Would you like to speak to it? Um, so if people can't afford to eat, they can't afford to make a living, no matter how hard they try, because I think that as, as Ghanaians, a lot of people work hard. I don't think it's for lack of trying. You know, there are a lot of people who work hard. And in some ways, it seems unfair because it's almost like the people who work the hardest make the smallest amount of money. Um, and if people are struggling, you know, you and I go into a supermarket and we've seen how food has increased by, you know, over 60% over a very short space of time and incomes haven't increased. If that, if, if people can't afford to eat, then why shouldn't they steal? You know, it's, I think that we have to be very careful where we're headed because when it gets to a point where someone can't eat and can't survive, um, essentially they don't have anything to lose. Let me zoom in on your role as a business leader. We've done a couple of um, conversations on, on coping mechanisms for entrepreneurs. And so let's take a disruption like um, fuel prices, food inflation, exchange rate instability mm -hmm. and at the same time you're to borrow your words your staff want more money mm -hmm. and rightly so mm -hmm. how much can you respond and, and and what how do you cope with a situation where you generally want to do something but you're limited 
It's very difficult because you know you're you're coming right now. Costs are escalating all around. Um, operational costs, utility. You know, yesterday fuel and electricity went up. Um, so everything is escalating, and for majority of industries, clients' ability to pay is also compromised. Um, just like during the pandemic, you know, nobody wants to take the hits, but at some point, it's either you're sharing the, the hits amongst everybody. Uh, or you will find some other innovative way to do it. Uh, but, you know, we, we are entering a season which is, um, I think we all have to be mentally prepared for, uh, as entrepreneurs, as employees, um, even as clients. Because, you know, you sit in, you have a hat as an entrepreneur, but you also have a hat as a client to somebody else. And uh, I think that a lot of grace will have to be extended, uh, always. Um, and we just pray that we come out of it quickly. Here we are with the 10 prescriptions from Dr. Naomi Ejafong of Alpha Beta Schools. Her first five, stay focused, all things work together for your good. Keep a cool head. Aim at excellence in whatever you do. Don't, don't be so enamored at what others are doing. Stay with your truth and your agenda. And then the fifth one is be humble and be kind. She says people are going through a lot of things. So in dealing with them, be empathetic and be humble and kind. Now, on the ideal Ghana, she says, we must provide relevant education for young people. And it includes, among others, submitting that not everyone needs to go to university. We should find alternative ways to channel people into their preferred careers rather than be hung up, hung up about everybody going to tertiary education. Um, the second prescription for an ideal Ghana is to remodel government employment especially with the high wage bill to governments and rethink how many people we need for each role third one is environment we must protect our environment the fourth is to develop all year round all nation round tourism and the last one is to look at community engagement and then engage communities to solve the problems that confront us dr japan will be your closing thoughts for that young person sitting there who I watch a film, John Kill. Is it out Denzel Washington? Mm. I, I don't watch films, but once in a while I do. <laughs> and he was a parent whose child didn't have insurance and he was just about losing his job. And the child needed medical care. And he, he held the whole hospital hostage mm -hmm. till his child was treated. Um, I'm not recommending that, but what, what what's your closing thoughts to somebody out there grappling with challenges too big for them to handle. What would you tell them? Look into camera. A young person. Tell them, young person, elderly person, just a word of encouragement to somebody to close. Okay. Um, so by, very simple is just to keep going. I think that it's important not to stop, but to keep going. If one way doesn't work, uh, try another way. Uh, try and, you know, reach out to people who can help you. There's always, you know, I always tell people, sit down and evaluate what you have available to you, whether it's resources, whether it's skills, whether it's people, uh, and try and figure out, you know, a way to keep moving forward. So don't give up. Uh, just, just keep moving forward whatever way you can. Simple prescription. Keep moving forward and along the line, get help if you need help. And you'll probably find that there are people who will be available to help. Thank you so much, Dr. Naomi Japong, for joining Thank us. You. I hope it's been a good experience for you as well. Yes, it has. Thank Great. you very much. Thank <laughs> you so much. So let me say thank you to all of you for joining us in this conversation. And let's keep this debate about the top 10, especially the life lessons and the My Ideal Ghana going on social media. Let's find out which of these prescriptions and these ideas is your favorite and why. And I'm sure that we'll get some very interesting responses. But on behalf of Team Springboard, led by Comfort, and our sponsors, Enterprise Group, MTN Pulse, and UMB Bank, and our media partners, the Multimedia Group, and the Graphic Business. My name is Albert Okran, saying God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you.
Ah, Joe, won't he? Enterprise Insurance would dear Womu promo nana. Hey, what it? <laughs> Four coupons. Wom washing machine. Wom car washer. Wom baby. Wom obiadia. Wom. <laughs> Buy or renew your existing motor insurance policy and win instant rewards such as fuel coupons and branded gift items in this year's Udia Womu Moto Insurance promo. You could also win an iPhone 14, front load washing machine, high pressure car washer, vacuum cleaner, and an auto tie inflator during the monthly raffles and a slick crutch rocket motorbike at the end of the six months promotion. Make you no slacku. <laughs> Call your insurance broker, agent, or visit any enterprise insurance branch and get your reward now. You can also call us on 0302-634-777. This promo is in partnership with NLE on the Characters platform. Terms and conditions apply. Enterprise, your advantage. <laughs> When you can be anything, who will you become? When you can go anywhere and never feel alone, how far will you go? When you have the means to make your dreams real, when will you start? When your voice can reach every ear, who will you inspire? When your money can travel faster and further than you ever could, where will you send it? When you can tell a story in every language, which ones will you tell? When nothing can stop you, and everyone's behind you, and, and the, the whole, whole world, world awaits, awaits you. you. Don't go alone. Go with us. Everywhere, Everywhere you, you go. go.
just where we turn around. Make that change, turn around. 